Hey everybody, this is Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church Adelaide, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you can have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our preaching team. Hey, um, tonight I want to I talk about the price of failure. The, uh, it's not the price of failure, the grace of failure and the price of success. The grace of failure and the price of success. So we are in the midst of this Here's to the Dreamer series. And um, somebody ought to grab uh, the um, lectern for me. That would be super helpful. We're in the midst of this Here's to the Dream series. And, and this is about discovering and enabling your creative capacity in Christ. We all, thank you very much. Um, we all have different creative capacities. We all can do different things. God is calling us to different things. But he's calling us all. Now, the reason I want to talk about success and failure is because we talk about it all the time anyway. Like, I'm a huge sports fan. I'm I'm into way too many different sports. But my big sport is basketball, and in particular the NBA, right? And uh, NBA finals time at the moment. It's like peak season for basketball. But one of the most fun things to talk about is actually not so much in the game itself. It's the off-season. It's the stuff that happens in between, and especially the draft, the NBA draft is where potential is actually more important than reality. Potential is more important than reality. So these, these young kids are like 17 years old, or they're just about to turn 18. They declare for the draft. They're probably about to become multimillionaires, and we don't really have any idea how great they are. We don't really have any idea how good they are. The number one draft pick gets guaranteed about $8 million in his first year in the league. Now, the thing is, that sounds great. Give me $8 million, please. Write me a check. But the expectations that go with it are enormous, which means for those, for those young guys who become the number one pick, they either go on to become the greatest players the world's ever known or busts, and that's how they get labelled. Because in the world we live in, there, there is something to do with failure that we struggle, and particularly if somebody is perceived to be great and they underperform. We tend to look at that and go, that person's a failure. Now, the opposite's true as well. If somebody, we expect nothing of them and they overperform, we're like, that's an underdog story, and we love it. We are a nation that legitimately celebrates Steve Bradbury, whose great sporting achievement was not falling down while ice skating. That's, he won a gold medal for that. Like, that's impressive. And as a nation, we cheer it on. We're a nation that cheers the downtrodden, the down and out, those with nothing so much That Port Power has a number of fans in this state and around the country. God bless them. (laughs) We 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 truly are somebody that loves the underdog story, though, aren't we? And the thing the thing that we love about it is when we look at an underdog story, we see our own possibility. We see the possibility of what we can be in the future. So Steve Jobs famously failed when he started in business. And many of you might have heard this. He, he set up this little company called Apple. Uh, none of you have probably heard of it, but still fairly famous today. And um, he, it's a great company. And if anyone here is working for them and would like to sponsor Encounter Church, that's, that's up to you. Um, famously fired from Apple. He sets up Apple, famously fired, goes on to do a couple of other little things, including start up a company called Pixar, which I believe is well, relatively well known at this point in time. Goes on to do that, comes back and becomes the CEO of Apple again. Now, Steve's got a complicated legacy, but his underdog story is impressive. And, and what's impressive about it is, as he points out, he didn't, 
see it then, but it turned out that getting fired from Apple was the best thing that ever could have happened to him. It forced him to rethink how he understood pioneering creativity, leadership, and he came back in a different way. Abraham Lincoln, you've probably heard of. Failure in business. Had a nervous breakdown, and the first time he ran for president, lost spectacularly. But he got back up and became fairly well known for his accomplishments. Lincoln says this, My great concern is not whether you have failed, but whether you are content with your failure. J.K. Rowling was an unemployed single parent who couldn't get published. Fred Astaire was told he couldn't sing or act. Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team. Walt Disney was fired from a newspaper for not being creative enough. Walt Disney, ladies and gentlemen. Vincent van Gogh in his lifetime sold one painting, one. Stephen King had the novel Carrie, which has been now put into films and television shows at least four or five different times. He had that as his first novel rejected 30 different times before it was published. Destiny's Child failed in its first two different makeups, which means multiple people, hear this, multiple people rejected Queen Bee. Beyonce was rejected on purpose by different groups of people. Pray for them, church. They know not what they do. (laughs) We get more amens for Beyonce than we do for Jesus. We're going to change this place. Come on. Failure is not permanent. Your failures, your brokenness, your struggles are not permanent. It is something we can overcome. This is why we love an underdog story. It reminds us of where we are and where we can be. Now, when we look at entrepreneurship in Australia, as we looked at when we had a chat with Jonathan earlier this afternoon, it is that we are actually quite a creative country, and we are becoming more and more entrepreneurial. In fact, since the turn of the millennium, we have had more entrepreneurship happening every single year. We are increasing that exponentially. We're in a creative boom. More and more people are trying new things. In fact, it's my opinion that Gen Z, which is probably the bulk of you in this room are in Gen Z, I think you're maybe the most creative generation that we have seen, if not in history, for many, many, many years. An incredibly creative, gutsy, daring, risk-taking generation. I love it. This is why I like hanging out with Gen Zs, and it makes me feel younger too. And, but there is a flip side to this as well, because it, it, you've got entrepreneurship, but of course a lot of startups fail. Uh, 50% of startups at the end of five years don't exist anymore. That's a pretty high failure rate. You've got to be willing to wrestle with failure if you're going to do something different. Now, there have been more entrepreneur ventures, like I said, but the percentage of startups that fail has actually dropped. Bankruptcies have dropped in Australia as well. This is good news. This means that as we try new things, there is a reward for it, and when we see tangible reward, we try new things again. At the same time as this is happening, we have a generation below your generation growing up. And that generation, when they are asked, like every generation, what do you want to do when you grow up? Does anybody know what the most common answer is? Correct. YouTuber. YouTuber. More than 90% of children want to be a professional YouTuber when they grow up. Now, when I grew up, YouTube didn't exist. So that's fine. That's fine. I don't have a stigma about that or my age. It's fine. But this is the world we live in now, where fame is seen through the lens of your phone. And the world we live in largely is divided up into two things. It says, if you want to be viewed as valuable, you better be known and you better be successful. 
You better be known for what you do, and you better be, make, make the money as well. So look at the Kardashians, right? The Kardashians, and you know, it's easy to take shots at the Kardashians because they're the Kardashians. But the Kardashians are a prime example of this. They are basically famous for being famous. They're famous for being famous. And then they've leveraged that into, you know, makeup and reality shows and whatever else they do. Honest to God, I don't know and I don't care. But they're very famous. Everybody knows who they are. They've leveraged this. They have the money. They have the name, the fame. They have the visibility. That's what we look for right now. That's how we view success. Which conversely means that if we don't have these things, if our Insta followers drop, we're not getting those likes. We don't feel like we're being viewed as a success. This is what we're looking at today. This is the true narrative of our culture, by the way. The true narrative. I want to just quickly split that up from the narrative that you hear, which is actually who you are matters the most, the family you have, that's what's really important. Now, I believe these things, but that's not the true narrative of our culture. You can tell by following the money following the Instagram likes, following investment. The true narrative of our culture is if you are seen, you are valued. If you have money, you are worthwhile. This is the true narrative. You've got to be careful to, to split these two things apart. There's the thing we should follow and the thing we actually follow. Business guru Jim Collins, I don't know if you've ever read Good to Great, but it's one of the classic business novels. He said this, Good is the enemy of great. He said, Few people attain great lives... In large part, because it is just so easy to settle for a good life. Few people attain greatness. One of the great challenges this suggests is that maybe good is bad. Good is bad. Is bad good? It, we, we have this now this narrative. If, if, if success sets you up to want shallow things, does that mean success is bad? And if failure, as we heard from Steve Jobs and Abraham Lincoln, sets you up for a future of overcoming, does that mean failure is good? Well, I want to explore some, some of Scripture this afternoon. I want to look through the lens of Genesis 39. And if you want to turn with me in your own Bibles, you can. It'll be up on the screen behind you as well. Because Genesis 39 is about success and failure. We're looking through the lens of Joseph as we talk about creativity. Because Joseph is a man who had big dreams that didn't go quite the way he planned but still got used in the end. So we're going to read through all of Genesis 39 because it's pretty hard. It's written as a narrative. It's hard just to take a short bit out that's going to speak into the whole thing. But I'll try and go through it quickly. So follow along with me behind me on the screen or on your own uh, Bibles. I'd encourage you. Verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken to Egypt. An Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guards, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. The Lord was with Joseph. Hear this if you hear nothing else. The Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man serving in the household of his Egyptian master. Joseph became a success as a slave. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor with his master and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his whole household and placed all that he owned under his authority. From the time that he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned in his house and in his fields. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. What a life Potiphar was leaving. 
Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. It's like Tom here. After some time, his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph and said, sleep with me. But he refused. Look, he said to his master's wife, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house. And he has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. So how could I do this immense evil? And how could I sin against God? This is how Joseph views his obedience to his master and to his God. And I want you to hear something really important here. One, the first way we read this is the obvious way, is to say that Joseph had strong personal morals. He had strong convictions to say, I'm not going to sleep with my master's wife. It's the wrong thing to do. The bit we might sometimes forget is that his master's wife was a free Egyptian woman and Joseph was a slave. The first time Joseph said no, she could have just said, okay, I'm going to get you killed. That's it. It would have been that simple. But Joseph held to his convictions. Although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. This isn't a one-off, wow, dodge that bullet. This is a hail of bullets day after day that Joseph is dodging. Now, one day he went into the house to do his work, and none of the household servants were there. She grabbed him by his garment and said, sleep with me. But leaving his garment in her hand, he escaped and ran outside. When she saw that he had left his garment with her and had run outside, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, my husband brought a Hebrew man to make fools of us. He came to me so he could sleep with me and I screamed as loud as I could. When he heard me screaming for help, he left his garment beside me and ran outside. She put Joseph's garment beside her until his master came home. Then she told him the same story. The Hebrew slave you brought to us came to make a fool of me. But when I screamed for help, he left his garment beside me and ran outside. When his master heard the story his wife told him, these are the things your slave did to me. He was furious and had him thrown into prison where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph was there in prison. Starts as a slave, ends as a slave. Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor with the prison warden. The warden put all the prisoners who were in the prison under Joseph's authority, and he was responsible for everything that was done there. The warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority. Sound familiar? Because the Lord was with him, and the Lord made everything that he did successful. This is the word of the Lord. Now, the story, in a sense, ends where it begins. It ends with Joseph thriving despite his imprisonment. But we've just heard a story of entrepreneurship from Jonathan today, and, and he's mapped out the ups and the downs of it, the ups and downs of trying to live a creative, thriving life in God. The end might look okay, the start might look okay, but in the middle, you have no idea what I've been through. There's a few thoughts that I think we need to draw from here. The first one is this. Joseph received favor from both Potiphar and the jailer. Now, favor is when people see what you do and see who you are and reward you because of it. But our problem with favor is we don't want to play favorites. We get caught up in this sense of personal justice. We see somebody being promoted, and instead of saying, I'm so happy for them, we say, why not me? Instead of saying, they must have worked so hard for this, we say, they're probably just friends with the boss. We assume the worst instead of cheering on the best. And the easiest thing in the world is to complain that that's all very well for Joseph, but where's our favor? But I wonder how much humility played 
in Joseph's getting favour. I wonder how much had to do with him being a slave through the entire narrative we just heard. You've got to remember that. Never once did Joseph have personal freedom. Never once was the Lord not with him. Never once did he complain. Never once did he kick up a fuss. He said, this is where I am. I will work faithfully for God. Again and again, we not only hear that he is working faithfully for God, but we hear that God is blessing him for this. There is favor that comes to Potiphar and the jailer. So for him, it looked like working hard and staying faithful, even while being unfairly enslaved. How many of us take that attitude into life? Like I know for me, I can get a sniffle and I'm like, God, where are you? (laughs) If you really love me, the smallest things can throw me off. I can be so faithless. But the difference between failure and success is often persistence and attitude. So that's about the favor. Here's the second thing. When Joseph failed, like I said, he kept working hard. But when Joseph became successful, a big target started being painted on his back. We don't hear about him being in any trouble while he's down at the bottom. It's only after he starts to rise that he's dealing with issues. Now, we talked about tall poppy syndrome last week. Success is hard. So there's, there's a very famous pastor, and I'm going to talk about him because I happen to like him. Pastor Stephen Furtick leads Elevation Church in Charlotte. We're not friends. Uh, I would like to be, but he's just much more famous than I am and lives a long way away. Stephen Furtick, great pastor, great leader, runs an incredible church. But he's come under fire a few years back because he's got a huge house. Huge, huge house. And people discovered this. And they started writing media articles and they started going, well, he's a pastor. He lives in this area. What about these natural disasters? What about these poor people? And they started raising these questions. Why would a pastor have an enormous home like this? And you might be asking the same question back. You're like, yeah, why would they? Here's the thing. Whose problem is that? It's not my problem. Who am I to judge what Stephen Furtick's doing with his money? It's not your problem. We're not involved in this guy's life. But the easiest thing in the world is to see someone successful, put a target on their back, and assume we've got a right to take shots. In an era where we all have a keyboard and all have access to everybody else, how much do we all take pot shots at each other? We've got to stop this kind of behaviour. It's not up to us to judge Stephen Furtick or anybody else. Has anybody, has anybody come across the Instagram account Preachers in Sneakers? Right. It's kind of funny, but it's also like a guy that maybe needs to take a few moments every day to have a look at himself and ask himself why he's doing what he's doing. He's, he's take, this guy runs an Instagram account. It's called Preachers and Sneakers. It's, it's quite funny. But, and it's, he sort of finds photos from Instagram of preachers that have great sneakers. I, I haven't got on there with my Dunlop volleys that I bought from Kmart. I didn't do that on purpose, but he's, yeah, they're pretty cruddy. That's all right. Someday. But what, it, what he does is he puts that on there and then he prices the sneakers and then uses it as this kind of subtle dig at the preacher for spending too much money on sneakers. But again, whose money is it? Whose job is it to steward that money? Can I tell you, if you end up, many of you are studying or you're searching your calling, if you end up becoming a millionaire, I hope you tithe and I hope you give generously to charity and I hope you tithe. Did I say that twice? Sorry, never mind. <laughs> but it's your job, you and God, to work out what to do with that money. It's your job to work out what to do with that blessing. It's our job what to do to work out what to do with our blessing and to not throw stones 
at people from a distance. Does that make sense? Like it's not, of course it makes sense. It's not complicated, but we do it. Just know that often fame is not what it's cracked up to be. So here's the final point I want to make about this, and that's this. God was with Joseph always, inevitably, consistently. It's the most consistent element of the story. Now, we had that quote from Steve Jones before where he said, I didn't know it then. But getting fired from Apple was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. The difference between Steve Jobs and Joseph is that Joseph knew. Joseph knew that the greatest thing that could happen to him was to be wherever he was at that point in time. We don't have control over where we are in the moment. We only have control over our next step. And where you are right now is the best position for where God needs to take you next. The best position. You can only go where you're going next. The end of Joseph's story, he becomes the vizier to the Pharaoh, second in charge of all of Egypt. But he doesn't just go from here to here. Well, actually, he kind of does. But it takes him a few steps to get positioned for that. You are perfectly positioned to get where you need to go next, not necessarily at the end. Does that make sense? You are, you are where you are right now. And wherever you are right now, you have the opportunity to go, what's my next step? Not the end, my next step. Where's God leading me next? That's what faithfulness looks like. In God's economy, Joseph is a success, not a failure. Because God's view of success is not the same as yours and mine. Nietzsche, who was not really a Christian, um, but an interesting guy, says this, Basically, discipleship or innovation or anything you like, success is about long obedience in the same direction. Long obedience in the same direction. What do we hear from Jonathan's story? Oh, it just took persistence again and again and again over time. What do you need to do obediently in the same direction? This is faithfulness. This is discipleship. This is what it means. Now, this principle is true for our faith too because... I think we call it a failure when things happen that we don't expect. Now, if you've been a Christian for longer than a few months, you know that what you're meant to do is want what God wants, but what we actually want is what we want. We want whatever's next in our hearts. We want whatever we want to put our bank account to. We want things to work out the way we want it. But God's saying, I've got a different economy for you. Success and failure looks different in the kingdom of God. God is saying the greatest failure is not trying and failing again. It's failing to try again. It's not trying and failing. It's failing to try. And in our faith, it's the times. Can I just tell you, God is never mad at you when you doubt. That's not a failure in faith. It's not a failure in faith to ask questions. It's not a failure in faith to be shaken It's not even a failure in faith to sin. What is a failure in faith is when that becomes the end of the story. When you sin and you say, well, that's it. Guess I'm done. When you doubt and you go, guess God doesn't exist based on my doubts. God's quite big. He's eternal. He's been going for a while. He's seen doubts before. When we ask questions and we go, I haven't got that question answered immediately in my mind. So that's it. That's it. Guys, that's failure. If that's where you've been in your faith, that, that's what a failure, not an, 
not an eternal failure because we get up and we try again. But that's what failure looks like in faith. Doubt is not a failure. Questioning is not a failure. Even sin is not a failure. We get up, we try again because God is a God of grace, of redemption, of mercy, of new starts every day. This is what it looks like to be a success in the kingdom of God. Maybe what happened is you trusted in a church at some point and you had expectations of the church or a pastor or friends in a church and they didn't meet them. They didn't meet them. I'm really sorry if you had an experience like that, but genuinely, it's, it can be really painful. It can really shape our faith. It can really shape our understanding of who we are and who God is because the people of God are meant to be Jesus to us. But the people of God are flawed and broken. And I just want to encourage you, don't let your speed bump become a roadblock. Don't let your short-term stop be something that stops you in the long term. Keep going. Get up. Try again. There's always room for a fresh start in God. That's exactly what we're offered. So how do we determine what success is? Long obedience in the same direction. So what do we take about this from all this personally? Joseph thrived in the middle of a personal setback, right? He pursued his calling. He served God as faithfully as he knew, and he failed. So what does this tell us about God's understanding of success? Well, number one, it's different to ours. It's very different to ours. And number two, we need to keep submitting our expectations of failure and success to God. We need to submit our expectations under God's expectation. It's one of the very hardest things we do. But can I tell you, it's actually the heart of becoming a follower of Jesus. It's saying, God, what you want is what I'm going to pursue. And I'm going to submit everything underneath that. That's all I want. My expectations, my dreams, even my creative possibilities, this thing that we're here to tell you about that you've got and should pursue, I actually need to take that and submit it below God's will for me, whatever that is. Which means the question, the key question in all of this is what is God's will for you? Because that's the million dollar question, isn't it? That's the thing we've all been asking. That's the thing when we get into this relationship and we're like, God, I love you, but I don't know where to go. God, I've, I've experienced you, but I don't know what to do with that. God, I've messed up and, and now, I, I don't know, does this mean I'm not really a Christian? What is God asking from you? What is success in the eyes of God? It's faithfulness. It's faithfulness. It's trusting that God is who he says he is. That his word is faithful. That his presence is with you. And that wherever you are right now, God can take you to the next place. It's not going to be the end goal, church. You're not going to get to the end goal straight away. You're going to have to take step after step after step. It's long obedience in the same direction. That's what faith looks like. You're going to take step after step after step. And some of those days you're going to say, I am not here for this today. I'm not feeling it. I am tired. I am angry. I am frustrated. I am hurt. And sometimes I trivialize this a little bit because, you know, we're middle class folk, generally speaking. And probably sometimes our emotions are not as big a deal as we make them out to be. But sometimes they are. Sometimes we are suffering, genuinely suffering. 
Sometimes we have had acts of evil committed to us, betrayal committed to us. We are sick and we have a diagnosis that there is no end in sight for us. And even in that, God's call for us, when we say, how do we be a success, is to say, be faithful to me, because I'm faithful to you. So what's important in all this? I think we need to pray diligently, church, so that you know what God wants us to do. Because it's one thing to say, for me to say, God's got you in your next step, but if we keep taking steps in the wrong direction, you know, Long disobedience in the same direction isn't helpful. So we do need to pray and say, God, where do you want me to go? What are my skills? What are the dreams of my heart? Then we need to measure carefully so we know what success looks like. I don't think we just, you know, run headlong in one direction without asking questions about it. I think we actually look to measure success, but we keep bringing that back to God. That's where prayer comes back into it again. And if God says, don't worry about that, forget about it, don't measure it, then we ignore it. Then we work hard, so we're stewarding the gifts we are given. That goes back to the financial stuff. It's your money, but it's also your job to steward it well. What are you doing with it? And then we must be content with knowing that if the results don't come out like we wanted, it doesn't mean that we are a failure, because if we are faithful, God is positioning us better things. If we are faithful, God is looking to position us for better things in this life. How did Jesus look at it? This is what he said. Matthew chapter 16. He says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Wait, what? What? Save their life, will lose it. Lose their life, will find it. That doesn't make any sense. But you're not called to be a success in the eyes of the world. You're not called to be financially rich. You're not called to be powerful. You're not even called just to be creative. You're called to be obedient, to be faithful. And this is the darkest hour for us in our consumerist, individualist culture that says, look at me, I'm very special when we have to take everything to the foot of the cross and say, God, if this is not what you want me to do, it doesn't matter to me. I want what you want. I want to be faithful to what you're calling me to be. The way Jesus looked at success was totally different to the way we do. You're called to give your life to the one who gave his life up for you. Erwin McManus, who I quoted last week, says this about Jim Collins, who I quoted earlier. He said, Jim Collins has done us a great service and inspired many of us through Good to Great, the book. Great is about execution and achievement, but good is about essence and ethos. It means it's about who we are, not about what we do. Erwin goes on, It's always fascinated me that in the first act of creation, the focus was on the good and not the great. That God looked at what he has made and said, it, it is good. Obviously, creation was great, but it is far more important for us to understand that creation is the reflection of the very nature of God. Creation was good because God is good. Creation resulted in life. 
because God is life. You are made to be good, obedient, faithful. You're made to be filled with life. You're made to view failure through the lens of God and not our own lens and not the world's lens, which means your success is found in your faithfulness, long obedience in the same direction. Your situation shouldn't shape your faithfulness. Your faithfulness should shape and begin to transform your situation. This is what Joseph did. He was faithful when it transformed his situation in the prison. What happens? He gets favour. At the end of Joseph's story, like I said, he becomes the second in command of all of Egypt. Do you know how? Because he's in prison, in the right place, at the right time. Do I think God wanted him in prison? No. I don't think God is, you know, a sadist. But I think God can use anyone who's faithful. I think God can use anyone who's obediently going in His direction. What's He calling you to do tonight, church? How do you need to align yourself with obedience with God? Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear from you. For more information and resources, please check out our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review on your podcast provider. Have an amazing day. God bless.